Into sports. 20 yards out. Urs shoot. Don't oh, oh, what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! And get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him. Yeah, no. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Fabregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do we get a slap? Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. All right, you're welcome back. It is Thursday's Off the Ball. Nathan with you until 10 o'clock. Europa League games just underway. Arsenal taking on Slavia Prague. It is one all in that one ahead of the second leg in the Czech Republic. And Manchester United just getting underway in their game against Granada. United 2-0 up. We'll keep you up to date on them between now and 10 o'clock. So, we mentioned it in the news round earlier. If you follow Phil Foden on Twitter, which almost half a million people do, you'll have seen that he sent a tweet after last night's victory over Borussia Dortmund. It was a pretty simple tweet. He sent it directly to Kylian Mbappe, saying, Are you ready? With a handshake emoji and a picture of Foden scoring his goal against Dortmund. Nothing too wrong with that, you might think. But it turns out that Phil Foden didn't actually send that tweet. A social media team employed on his behalf sent it, and Phil Foden wasn't too happy about being seen to be calling out Kylian Mbappe just moments after the game. It is just another issue facing footballers with social media to talk about the relationship that sports people have with social media, the good, the bad and the ugly. I'm joined by Lewis Wiltshire, who is the CEO of Seven League, a global sports digital consultancy firm. He's also a former editor of the BBC Sports website and a former uh, global chair of sports at Twitter. Lewis, nice to talk to you. Nathan, good evening. Good to speak to you too. What percentage of footballers are on social media right now? And what percentage of them run their own social media accounts? Well, almost all players are on social media. You'd, you'd struggle to find anyone that wasn't on social media nowadays. Um, it, it's far from uncommon that the players have people who run their accounts for them at the very top level. Um, it wouldn't be true to say that they don't have any input into their accounts. Of course they do. Um, but equally, these guys are, are busy. Um, they're not journalists. They're not from the media. They're footballers. Um, and there's so many platforms nowadays that they can't really be expected to run all of them. So what tends to happen is uh, the players will go to the ones that they love the most, the platforms they love the most. So, And, and of course, every, every few years we get a new platform comes along. So it was Facebook, then it was Twitter, then it was Instagram, then it was Snapchat. Uh, and now it's TikTok, and the the players, as as the new young players come through, will naturally use the ones that that they love the most, and and the ones that they don't love as much, the ones they see as older platforms, if you like, uh, will probably be run by their management team. You were Twitter UK's first ever head of sport. How quickly was professional footballers tweeting taken over by business? How how quickly? Were there entrepreneurs who spotted a gap in the market here that actually the best thing for an awful lot of footballers isn't that they tweet themselves, that they just hand over the reins to us? Um, it, it came along after a few years of, of Twitter being very successful. Um, in, in those days, what tended to happen was that the, the players uh, would let their management team run their Facebook page. Uh, and they would run their own Twitter because it was very, very cool and very fashionable. Um, of course, it still is, but new platforms come along and, and, and become the ones that the new young players w- want to be on. Um, so if, if you look at um, in those days, they would maybe have run their own Twitter. Now they might hand their Twitter off to a, to a member of the management team and they might run their own um, 
Instagram or even now their own TikTok as the players are kind of the new young players come through all the time. But I, I wouldn't overstate it. The players are still involved. They don't just hand off responsibility entirely. Um, you know, they'll, they'll they'll want their channels to reflect who they are, which is clearly why Phil Foden stepped in last night when something went out from his his account that he maybe didn't like so much. What is the benefit for Phil Foden of a tweet like that going out? Very small um, for a tweet like that. It didn't feel in keeping with his personality, what we know of him. He's a very young kid still. Mm. Um, he hasn't really done too many interviews. We don't know a huge amount about Phil, really, in the public eye. But what we do know of him, he seems like a very quiet, nice lad and um, <laughs> calling out the most expensive footballer in the world. Um, in, in whatever that was, was he calling him out? Was he challenging him? What was it? It was just a really, it was, it was kind of a weird tweet and uh, I'm not surprised they deleted it. Yeah, it, it, it did feel like there was a bit of, uh, was it the Streisand effect with it in that when you looked at it first, it thought of, we're two young, talented footballers and look at us, we're going to be playing in the Champions League semi-final and once it's deleted, you're thinking, oh, is he calling out Kylian Mbappe here? Maybe, maybe he is. Uh, how authentic does a social media account need to be for... I guess, supporters, followers to believe in it. If you're also going to be using it from a commercial point of view to be promoting your sponsors, to be trying to flog some things, do the players need to have, do they always need to have some involvement or are there actually players who say, listen, put up my commercial stuff and I don't want anything to do with it? Well, the, the social media channels that the players have are completely associated with their commercial endorsement deals. Uh, so even if they're not making money directly from the social media platforms, which... For most players, they wouldn't really. Um, clubs do. Uh, clubs make some money from from their digital and social. Uh, if done right, um, uh, they can make a profit from from what they invest in digital. Um, but the players, not really. But where, where the players will make money will be indirectly. So uh, their commercial brand partnerships will want them to be on social media. They'll want them to have a presence uh, on those platforms, uh, and they'll look at how many followers they've got. I mean. Follower, follower numbers when you work in the industry is a pretty daft metric. It, it, it doesn't really mean a huge amount. What really counts is engagement. Um, but but brands will look at the, the amount of followers that a guy's got. You mentioned it in your intro. Phil Foden's got half a million followers. So a commercial brand will look at that and they'll say, well, he's, he's clearly growing. He's clearly not Cristiano Ronaldo with hundreds mm. of millions of followers, but it's it's something and it's there's an audience there and there's a fan base there. Uh, and so, so they'll want to be part of that. So the players will make money from it, but... Um, yeah, they'll they'll and they'll want the channel to reflect who they really are, uh, and then sometimes they will um, they will dive in and use the channels themselves. But um, he's he's been a smart lad. If he's if he's switched on enough to decide that's not what I want going out in my name, please change it. Then fair play. That's uh, you know he's, mm. he's 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 a guy in control of his own career, and that's great. It, it does feel as though it is the one opportunity for players who are comfortable with it to actually give a real insight into their personality. And uh, look at somebody like Declan Rice, who in this country would have strong views on, considering what happened with his move from the <laughs> Republic of Ireland to England. But you follow him on social media and actually you think, you know, he seems like a, a pretty nice guy. He's pretty chilled out. He's very relaxed. Uh, it's a real opportunity for him at a time when he's a young man who may not want to be doing feature interviews, certainly doesn't want to be ending up in the tabloids to connect with supporters. And, and even today, looking at putting up a video of Jesse Lingard dancing in the dressing room, give the little bit of behind the scenes access that everybody wants. Well, it's good to see Jesse dancing again. Um, I mean, Jesse, when he was at Manchester United, of course, was uh, was always dancing in the dressing room on social media. And, and what was interesting about Lingard's accounts is that when he 
maybe his form dipped and he, he perhaps wasn't as as happy in his career at that point um a lot of the joy went out of his channels but he was uh, up to that point he, he'd been one of the best users of social media and when people say to me do the players really use the social media channels themselves is it really them doing it i always used to say look at jesse lingard's instagram of course that's him but in particular his instagram stories so the instagram stories was was always Pogba and Lingard and all the other Man United guys dressed in the dressing room dancing away. Now, when when his accounts kind of maybe dipped a bit, they reflected the, perhaps the lack of joy that he was experiencing in in his career at that time. Now he's gone on loan to West Ham, mm. full of joy again, and and his and his channels are now reflecting that joy. Although in this case, as you say, that was on Declan's channels. But it's it, it's great to see. I mean, there are definitely still places where you can see these young lads, and and it is it is genuinely and authentically them. There would have been a sense with Lingard and particularly maybe from more old school pundits at times that his social media presence was taking away from his football, that he was too concerned with his public image rather than doing the business on the football pitch. That's a difficult balance for him then if actually he gets a lot of joy from it, but maybe he's getting a lot of criticism. I guess it depends what's happening internally in the club. Do clubs want their players on social media? I think we're seeing a new generation of managers coming through now who 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 are on social media themselves. Um, you, you know, you look at players like Steven Gerrard who are now moving into management, and uh, and of course he's got his own social media channels. Um, I think it's fair to say that in most cases, I mean, at West Ham, there's perhaps a slightly. Uh, I don't think it's uh, it's too strong to say. Maybe David Moyes might be a more slightly more old school manager. Um, maybe they wouldn't want it, but I think they generally accept that it's part and parcel. Um, they do. They'll always get some stick, and uh, yeah, I think perhaps the Man United lads dancing in the dressing room attracted the attention of, um, shall we say, one of the best ever players to have come from uh, Ireland, uh, who's now a, a mainstream pundit on British television, uh, who's very famous for having strong views about uh, young players taking their eye off the ball. Um, but he, he um, but but I think in Lingard's case, it doesn't it doesn't do him harm. And if we step away from football for from it, I mean, I remember <clears throat> in the days when I worked at Twitter, I would often hear this like, "Oh, it takes the athlete's attention away from sport." I remember someone saying that to me about Andy Murray in the year that Andy Murray went and won Wimbledon when he was forever on Twitter that year, 2013. So I don't think it does correlate, and um, I really think it's down to the individual. And if you look at, uh, we're talking a lot about Man United here, but if you look at Marcus Rashford, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is actually on record as saying that uh, the campaigning that Rashford does for free school meals for vulnerable children in the UK has actually helped him, made him play better because it gives him a purpose and a motivation in life. Uh, and I think that's great. Mm. You come from a, a journalistic background. You were in the BBC, you set up the website. And what this does is allow athletes to control their own narrative, to bypass the traditional media and to tell the story they want to tell which is maybe not always the truth. They want to be influencers. They want to show the shiny side of life, which there may be a, a darker side that they want to keep well hidden and don't need to give the access. Have you noticed a change in that over the years as social media has developed that rather than giving a true insight, now we're sort of seeing the glamour rather than what life is really like for these sports people? Yeah, and Nathan, the Instagram is is the platform that I suspect you're talking about because that's the one that's got the reputation for being, you know, a little bit fake or it's, you know, it's where people put an artificial version of themselves. But <clears throat> I think the the Instagram stories is is quite authentic and certainly going back to Lingard, <clears throat> excuse me, he's done stuff in the past where he's literally woken up in bed and filmed himself 
pulling away the duvet covers and kind of getting out of bed and he's done a whole day in the life. Um, so I think that the players aren't afraid to show the, the real, true, authentic selves. I will say the the platforms change and evolve. And so if you look at, if you go through down the ages of people that are really good, players that are really good at using social media, the platforms change. So Peter Crouch, who <clears throat> doesn't really use Instagram as much, but is very, very, very funny on Twitter. Well, Peter Crouch is 40 years old. If you then come down to Vincent Company, Man City, when he was there, was very good at Twitter. Jack Grealish might be more someone you'd find on, on, on Instagram, but although Jack's very good on Twitter as well. All the way down to, um, you look at someone like Alfonso Davis at Bayern Munich. Um, he is amazing on TikTok, but TikTok's not really, a, and, and Alfonso Davis is 20, so you've come mm. down from sort of Jack Grealish, Declan Rice, kind of mid-20s, all the way down to Alfonso Davis at Bayern Munich, 20 years old he naturally will want to be on TikTok. But TikTok's not the sort of platform where you really give people an insight into your life. It's it's fun, it's dancing, it's music, it's vibrant, it's wonderful. And that that is is a, just a different platform. So that that's not really where you'd expect to see that side of Alfonso Davis's life anyway. And if that's the only platform he's really using, then you won't get that. So I think the platforms evolve, the players evolve, um, and the way that they use the platforms evolve. Gary Neville was tweeting this morning about the Phil Foden issue, saying, <laughs> I mentioned on here a few weeks ago, and I think this was about an England story at the time where England had played a match and three or four of the players had tweeted pretty much the exact same thing. It was clear that... <laughs> a company had tweeted it for them uh, yeah. he said I mentioned on here a few weeks ago about players having their accounts run by social media companies lads run your own accounts your independent thought and authenticity is at stake it's your voice not anyone else's and I absolutely understand where he's coming from that you would love to hear that there is that question that's growing all the time of do the benefits outweigh the risks for players if they do that, that one little slip up on social media and they are absolutely hammered, their manager is going to be asked about it in the press conference, they could be on the front page of all the tabloids the next day, that actually for young players, maybe the best thing is just to hand this over, particularly with Twitter, particularly with something they're not quite comfortable because at that age, quite often they don't have many opinions and certainly ones that they probably should, should be sharing with the world. Yeah, I'm pretty glad that Twitter wasn't around when I was 18, I will be honest. I mm. mean, look, it does carry that risk, of course, and... Um, I broadly agree with Gary. Uh, when I worked at Twitter, when I was the head of sport at Twitter, I sat down with Gary in London once and talked about his own Twitter. And But it, it's clear when you talk to Gary that he is an extremely intelligent, erudite guy, an older guy now. You know, he's lived a bit. He's a businessman. He's owned, owned and run businesses. And of course, he's able to express himself. And that's wonderful. Like, he's, he's, he's able to very eloquently get his point across. And he's very rarely, if ever, going to get himself into any bother. But if you're if you're Phil Foden, um, can't remember exactly how how old Phil is, but is he 19, 20? Mm. Um, you know that he's not got Gary's life experience, and and if he is if he's in doubt, or maybe he just doesn't feel comfortable or confident writing, um, why should he? Right, he's a midfield player. He's not a writer. He's not a journalist. So if he if he feels more confident handing it off, I'd say fine, hand it off. But there's a balance, and whilst I broadly agree with Gary, um, and, I, and I absolutely agree with Gary that when. when there was, as you say, Nathan, there was that point where three or four England players all tweeted sort of, you know, clean sheet, great result, on to the next one on Wednesday. And it's ridiculous. Like, what, what is anyone really getting from that? What are the fans getting from that, really? Well, what um, is anyone getting from that? Because they're obviously employing somebody because it, it wasn't just a, a member of their own personal management team, you'd have to assume. It was a company that they've all employed together. Uh, well, maybe they're just not doing a very good job, I guess. <laughs> well, sometimes it's a friend of the family. I mean, 
despite the, the unimaginable wealth that these players have got, sometimes they just they don't trust too many people. I mean, I've known it in the past to be the case that it's literally someone's cousin or brother. Um, but yeah, in general, no one is getting anything from those from those tweets. There's there's almost no point doing it. You may as well just come off off social media. So I'd say somewhere in the middle where you are doing it only the individual has to feel comfortable and safe and of course we've not really talked on this call yet about abuse and mm. sadly a lot of the players uh will be abused um and that that sometimes takes a very dark turn indeed with with some of the abuse that the players get so if if they're receiving that in their inbox frankly who am i to say no you should be on there if they want to say I don't, I don't want anything to do with that i let my manager take it fine um but there is a middle ground like yeah it may you surely can you or I, Nathan, could make it more entertaining than clean sheet onto the next one. So I, I broadly agree with Gary, but I think it has to work for the individual. Listen, for the right price, I will happily take over Phil Foden's <laughs> Twitter account. I will increase his followers to a million, no problem, but for the right price. Uh, speaking of the money side of it, what sort of cash are we talking then? Uh, the talk at the time was that Cristiano Ronaldo on Instagram was getting dollars per Instagram post. Is that just one of those made up numbers that gets thrown around in the story? Is there, is there a possibility you can earn that sort of cash? No, I think that's uh, that's one of those numbers. I mean, it, it, I'd be very skeptical about those numbers. Uh, um, almost certainly uh, Instagram posts would be tied up into a wider com commercial deal. Um, I, I, sometimes with, with, with influence, people who are actual sort of in, Instagram influencers, i.e. that there is no real career outside of it in the way that Cristiano's got an actual football career um they might they would sell per post potentially but even then um you know not nowhere near those sort of numbers obviously I mean Cristiano would be able to make astronomical sums from his commercial deals and if they're smart and clearly the people around him are very smart um then they would wrap his social media presence into that um but I'd be uh, I'd, I'd treat many of those kind of figures you see with a pinch of salt right uh, on the abuse then and when I asked earlier about clubs wanting their players on social media mm. on the one hand it's a great marketing tool for the clubs to have the players out there front and centre every time somebody clicks on their phone but it feels as though not a day goes by now that we don't have another story of a footballer being racially abused no matter what happens in fact go on to Phil Foden's account and he might have just scored the winning goal as he did last night and he can post anything and supporters of the opposition team are abusing him. Uh, I can't imagine clubs want their players actually, like the rest of us, addicted to their phone, addicted to Twitter, sitting there scrolling through what are quite shocking comments almost all of the time. There's very little positive said to these players online. Uh, are, are clubs... Uh, have, have they got policies in place now around how they try and protect their players from that online abuse? Um, some of the clubs are, re are kind of starting to do training for the academy guys with, um, you know, the kids coming through the academy and, and train them in how to protect themselves. Uh, I've done some of that training myself um, with, with professional footballers and, and help them to understand what tools are on the platform to protect yourself and to, to give yourself that. It's a very difficult uh, area, Nathan. I mean, I'm, the football clubs are currently in the Premier League outraged with um rightly so with with the abuse that that many of their players are getting solving it is 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 a much bigger more complex issue um there's been calls for boycotts you'd have seen that a couple of football clubs swansea city mm. and birmingham city uh announced a week-long boycott um you'd have seen that jordan henderson threw open his channels to 
uh, an anti-cyberbullying charity. Um, different approaches there. My own personal view is that the education piece that Henderson has, has gone after is a much more effective long-term strategy to combat the problem than the uh, boycott, uh, which I, th I don't think will be particularly effective, although I respect the right of anyone to do that at any point. Um, I think ultimately the answer is is education or uh, of the sort of people that um, that send these disgusting messages to to footballers or to anyone else who, who's abused on social media, um, especially when it's racist or sexist or or, or, or uh, any other type of hate speech that gets sent. Um, I think we need we need more education on, on the pain that that causes. And um, uh, I, I, unfortunately, I really do think it's a problem that goes beyond just football and just uh, social media. But I think we are where we are now. And football and social media are going to need to work together to combat the problem. Because there is that question constantly of where does the toxicity come from? Is it the football bringing the toxicity or is it actually the social media platforms that are bringing it and providing the outlet? If a Manchester United or a Liverpool were to follow Swansea or Birmingham and say we are boycotting social media, firstly, do you think it would have any impact at the big social media firms? And secondly, what could they actually do to answer the issues that are there right now? What could they do to stop the abuse? Yeah, that's that, that second point is the is the main point really because the platforms do not want this stuff on there. Uh, they it, it puts off advertisers. It's bad for business. It's bad for PR. There seems to be a kind of a viewpoint out there that the platforms don't care, or I've even seen suggestions that well they like it because it it. it somehow brings people to the platform or they don't they hate it it it, it causes advertisers to pull out it, it's terrible for their business um to answer your first question if a club the size of manchester united uh, and or liverpool were to come off social media a club that size it, it even then it wouldn't have a massive impact it wouldn't really have any impact at all financially for the platforms um last year 1000 advertisers boycotted Facebook uh, during the US election, uh, in a during the run-up to the US election in a protest against hate speech and some of the craziness that was going on on social media in the run-up to that election. Thousand advertisers boycotted, and it really was a glancing blow for Facebook at most, uh, at most, um, financially. Uh, reputationally, it's a different thing. And I think if, if it would require clubs the size of United and Liverpool and, and others to all come off together and to stay off and for all their players to come off. But the, the damage, to be clear, would be would be reputational, not financial, uh, even, even with clubs that size for the platforms. Uh, I assume the algorithm is improving all the time, but presumably that is an area where the social media platforms can massively improve as well. Everybody sees the advertising, the targeted advertising constantly on your phone, how they're able to do that. Surely we're at a stage where there can be vast improvements made and actually just blocking this, that any signs of any abuse can be just taken out of people's timelines. Unfortunately, it is harder than that, but there's no doubt that the players can do more. Uh, sorry, the platforms can mm. do more. Um, the, um, the platforms could and should be doing more. Uh, we still see too many bafflingly robotic responses when uh, someone does report abuse and uh, and people then screen grab the, re the response and it's kind of robotic and it kind of says uh, it didn't breach our rules when any any human being looking at that would see that's pretty grossly offensive um 
So there is more that they could do. However, if there was a quick fix, believe me, they would do it. I mean, the value to the platforms of being able to say we have a platform that has no abuse on it um, would be immeasurable. So if they could do it, they would love to do it. But the, the reality is it's, it, it, it is a problem that, that, um, that society has brought onto social media and particularly around football. I mean, I'm, I, I love football. I've been a football fan all my life. I started going to football in the mid eighties. Uh, I'm a lifelong Spurs fan, but going to football in the in the late eighties with my dad, we went to a lot of stadiums where where I did hear racist abuse towards the Spurs players and and, and other players from the other team. I, it was just it was a bad time in English football, and and that problem is still there in society. So there is an open question about did did the social media platforms bring the issue of abuse to football, or did football bring that issue to social media? And um, I think any of us that have spent time around particularly uh, British football would say that there are, there are issues there that have, that have come out in this way. And I, I think it's down to all of us to solve them. Um, for sure, the platforms, of course. Um, but I think the clubs and, the, and and those of us like me who work in the industry to, to work together uh, to solve this. It shouldn't be down to the players. The players don't deserve it. They, um, it's horrific. It's, it's in their inboxes. It's about them. It shouldn't be. But the rest of us, I think, let's come together and figure out a solution. What do you think happens next then? What's the next step for the social media platforms? It's such a relatively new phenomenon. In 10 years, have we moved past Twitter? <laughs> the next platform comes and takes over. Do we just have a better algorithm? I read a piece you wrote about are we moving more towards maybe niche outlets that actually people are sick of the toxicity or sick of the arguments that they want to go somewhere actually where it's a friendly environment where people agree on things where people have the same interests where do you see it going over the next few years yeah i think it'll change nathan i think um we've had 20 years of pretty much unbroken dominance in the digital and social media space of one form of media which is the timeline social media experience uh and, and seven league uh our agency we talk a lot about the, the great flattening of social media in that all of the platforms have started to look and feel like each other so for any of your listeners who, who use linkedin it started to look a lot like like facebook facebook of course took stories which was a, on snapchat and it went to instagram and then it went to facebook um twitter took the idea of the algorithmic timeline uh rather than just a pure chronological timeline from Facebook. They've all started to look like each other. And that that model where there's a famous person, anyone can reply to that famous person, anyone can send that person a message, uh, or on Instagram where uh, I can send anyone a, a direct message, even if they don't follow me or I don't follow them, unless they choose to turn that setting off. That's, that's kind of crazy, right? We wouldn't have that in the real world. Like, mm. you wouldn't have Ireland's top superstars going out, it, it, you know, in, in a bar in Dublin or in London or whatever, and just, just kind of anyone could approach them. I mean, these guys have a level of protection around them usually. Um, on social media, that hasn't existed. And I think that model won't last forever. And I think if you look at the rise and rise of WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or um, now you, Twitter has started to give you the opportunity to restrict who can reply to your comments or uh, on Snapchat, you can just send things to close friends and Snapchat's really kind of a messaging platform anyway at, at heart. I think what will change is that we'll start to move back much more towards closed communities, private communities. Um, we've also seen, you know, the rise and rise of, of podcasts uh, and, and audio, like I'm talking to you now. Um, mm. and, and we're seeing a massive uh, resurgence in newsletters um, where 
platforms like Substack and others where um, you can subscribe to individual writers uh, and pay to get their 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 newsletter in your inbox every month. So I think I think things will change, and frankly, I think we'll look back in twenty years time and say that was crazy. Like that, we we just left. We left these footballers just hanging out there for anyone to send them a message. And you know what? The vast majority of the time it was fine, but sometimes it really wasn't. And that wasn't okay. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, recently set up a uh, golf podcast on Patreon. And as part of it, we have a Discord right. group for the community members. And yeah. it's been a remarkable experience over the past month it's been running where everybody gets on. And 99.9% .9 of the people just want to have a chat about golf. And they're on on a Sunday night watching the PGA Tour and having a bit of back and forth. And I would say we'd have one issue of abuse out of several thousand members already. So, yeah, it's a it's a much more enjoyable online experience. Yeah, and and why wouldn't anyone want that, right? Like, I mean, none of us pay uh, for these products. Like, we use them. I mean, the old the expression in the industry is if you don't pay for the product, you are the product <laughs> because we all upload our own information willingly, and that that gets turned into advertising that's shown to us. But um, yeah, like sport is is fun right it should be fun i know that an industry has grown up around there and at seven league we talk about the third age of sport i.e the first age of sport was just purely recreational uh it's kicking a ball about in the park or whatever with your mates like turn of the century stuff like early 1900s second age of sport was probably from the end of the second world war onto the current day which was the professionalization the industrialization of sport and an, an industry grew up around sport the third age of sport which we talk about at seven league is everything's going to change again and sport is going to find itself in a greater competition than ever for attention, engagement, eyeballs, leisure, uh, uh, money that people might want to spend. You know, you've got esports, you've got gaming, you've got just so many more uh, TV channels, streaming, Netflix, Amazon, They're Twitch. There's just so many more competition for people's time and attention now. And sport has really enjoyed quite an unbroken spell there. And I think it will be up against it going forward. So sport has to offer something different and better to its audiences to, to keep people engaged. And, and who wants to be around toxic abuse, right? So that what you just described, Nathan, with the golf um, uh, output that you guys do is sounds fantastic. And what, who wouldn't want to be part of that rather than some of the sort of darker stuff that we see. Yeah, there's the sales pitch right there. That's what we got you on for, Lewis. Great <laughs> yeah, stuff. There you, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Lewis, lovely to talk to you. Lewis Wilcher there, CEO of Seven League. We'll talk to you again soon. Great to see you. Cheers, Nathan. Uh, just to let you know, in the football, in the Europa League, Arsenal 3-0 up against Slavia Prague. Three goals in the space of six minutes in the Czech Republic from Pepe, Lacazette and Saka. Arsenal 4-1 up in aggregate. And Manchester United 1-0 up uh, against Granada. Edison Cavani scored the goal 3-0 uh, on aggregate. So both United and Arsenal on their way to the Europa League semi-finals. The OTB Podcast Network. 